Hi, I'm Trenton Stander. Hi, I'm Tim Brown. And, and this is the Open Heart Cast. We're recording. We're back, guys. We're back with a fresh crop of Joe and some more smokes. Mm-hmm. Because that's the way we roll. Yes. When people roll, they put the saliva, saliva on, on their paper. paper. Big shout out to the Kipnis for that video he did. And I can't remember who the... It was Mac. Was it Max? The guy who actually came up with the clip. Okay. Hurley. He did a brilliant job, man. Yeah. I think that was the best thing to come out of lockdown. It's the only good thing. No, it's not the only good But it was the best thing to come out of lockdown. Yes. So you can't laugh at that. I mean, even... Glamini uh, Zuma. Mm. Big shout out to her for fucking the economy up. But... Uh, even she found it humorous. She said, thank you for um, bringing humor to the people. Yeah. yeah. And I think that was really cool of her. Yeah. I really do. Um, I mean, despite what you think of her as... Politically. Politically. Yeah. Um, I think that was cool of her to do. That mm. she thought that was a, it was a good thing to bring mm. people together during a difficult time. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's been extremely difficult. Mm. But we don't want to talk about negative things like lockdown no. and stuff. Let's no. talk about some cool shit. Mm. <clears throat> so, Trenton's learning how to do um, tape tangs. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. And, you know, it, it, it looked to me like it was a lot more difficult than it actually is. No, it isn't actually that difficult. Once you get down to it, it's actually pretty easy to do. Yeah. But it, it's getting your mind around having to make something like thin at the point and yes. you know, how do you, you know, how do you hold it, how do you push with it. Yeah. And um, that little stick that mm. you made. Yes. Uh, I don't have a fancy one of that. I just have, I took a piece of ash and I just I put a little notch in the end. Yeah. So I can that goes on the bottom end of, edge of the of the tang when I push in. Mm. But I can see much more use for having a little steel pin where you can push yes. through the holes of the of the handle. Yes, yes, yeah. So I mean, Jack taught me that little trick, and mm. I thought that was absolutely phenomenal. And I used the one that I that I turned on the lathe the other yeah. day. I used that one, and because uh, Jack said to me, "Go home, mm. make one, mm. and then do the other one," because he mm. had done the first one. Yeah. And he said, "Now go home. You've seen me do it. Yeah. Do the other one." Make yeah. yourself this tool mm. and do it. And I mean, and, um, I was originally very much against taper tanks. I think you make some guys take it a bit too far; they make it a bit too thin. But then also, it it it, it adds aesthetics to the knife, and yes. it also it adds it, it improves the balance to a certain extent. Sure. Um, and I'm also not a big fan of drilling thousands of holes through a handle because that's also not the right way to do it. Um, some holes to let the epoxy flow through are good, but not filling the, the, the tang with holes. I think that's, that's, that's dodgy work. I mean, I personally don't like it either, mm. but there are guys out there who I know who do really good work, and that's what they do, and yeah. that's, that's okay as well. Mm. Um, it's just not my personal preference. Yeah. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. But I do think there comes a point where you've removed too much material that mm. it, it compromises the structural integrity of the knife. Yeah, and I mean, you know, sometimes uh, Trenton's used to dry, bear grinding things too thin. 
I'm always wary of going too soon. I'm scared of it. So, I, you know, sometimes we we don't realize the actual strength of the material we're working with. Yeah. So you normally you can go thinner than what you think. Um, sometimes you can go too thin though. Yes. Like I found that out very recently. Yeah, but I mean it's it's a learning curve. Jack says if it doesn't mm. cost you time and money, yeah, then you're not going to learn from it mm. as readily. Sure. But, but me, I'm stubborn. I like to make mistakes at least five times just to make sure. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That's why you got I mean, five fingers to cut yes. on each hand. Yes. So well, try try not to. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> it's not it's not the best way to spend. Especially your time. as a guy who works with his hands, mm. like that is your living. Mm. And um, yeah, you don't want to make injuries that are going to compromise your ability to provide for your family. Mm. Definitely not. Um, I mean, one of the guys I used to work with down in BE, uh, Bully. Um, Got a hot coffee. Yeah, he, last weekend, he was in a mood of a bike accident. He's actually in ICU in Livingston Hospital in Bordersville, which is a government hospital. Now, um, he's a sole provider for his family. So That's hectic. That is super hectic. So sometimes you need to evaluate the things you're doing to see um, is this is this going to put you in a in a shit spot? Like if this could potentially go mm. wrong, should I stop now and fix mm. the problem? Mm. So the answer is yes. Yeah. Um, but it's it's all it. I know I've made a few mistakes where I've injured myself and cut mm. myself and things like that, and it always seems to be for me personally at that point where I know what I'm doing is unsafe. Mm but I think I can get away with it. Mm. And it's always at that point that the cut happens. Yeah, it's like when I was cutting that piece of wood and I was thinking, I shouldn't be holding the knife like that. Mm. And my brain thinking, yeah, but if the knife hits the edge, your finger's still outside the way. And yeah, it just... It just happens, right? When you have that thought, just stop. Yes. Think a bit and then reevaluate your and and that's the point is like yeah. if something goes wrong this is mm. this is you don't just pick up a knife and you discard the fact that it is a very sharp implement if you keep your knife sharp and it's made to do one thing and it's cut yes so don't just pull a knife out without having the thought of how am i using this safely mm. that is a constant thought that needs to be on your mind when using mm. any tool mm. Because you, you, you can hurt yourself with a fucking spanner. Yeah, I'll punch. <clears throat> you can hurt yourself with a bow. You know that? I was practicing shooting my compound bow, and yeah. I, did, I didn't make sure that my trigger was on properly. So as I went to extend the bow and bullet, I punched myself in the face. Yeah. But I didn't drop myself. Yeah, I've got a good, I got a good chin. Yeah, yeah. But I, I punched myself in the face just by not focusing on yes. what you're doing yes yes and that that's the thing is like whenever you think okay it this is not safe so like you need to think about where is that cutting edge going if you mm. lose control mm. because ultimately cutting yourself is losing control of the tool that you are that you're mm. holding because unless you're intentionally cutting yourself then i don't even like you need help Mm. Go and talk to a, a professional about this. Yeah, but, definitely. But um, that's the point. Mm. 
you're not trying to cut yourself. Mm. So, and it's it, it, it's down to any tool that you're using. I mean, mm. even you can seriously damage yourself with a hammer. I've done it a few times. You can, you um, can. I mean, I hit myself in the shin with a six pounder. That was rather unpleasant, but that was because the water in my quench bucket was had a bit of oil in it, and I had. I think I'd cooled the punch down or something and I'd taken it out and I'd grabbed my hammer and there was that little bit of oil on the handle so it was a bit slippery so I wasn't getting the, the hammer aligned like I wanted it to and I missed the punch and I hit myself in the shin and it it's an expensive or it wasn't expensive it was a painful lesson <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it yeah and then it's strange how that that little knob that's on your shin yes. how it tracks all other objects yeah. and you keep to bash on that spot. Yes. <laughs> that day. Yeah, it's hectic. I remember a an old couple. And uh, this couple, they were incredible. I think I've spoken to you about them before. But they, they had been through some hard times, um, really, really seriously hard times, like where there's no food. And they have to live. I remember he had to go out to work at the lumber yard. Mm-hmm. And um, it was uh, it was somewhere in either uh, Germany or um, one of the surrounding countries, mm. or Austria or something. How close to Austria is Germany? They like there, right next to each other. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so could have been there as well. But anyway, so he was uh, he was. There's actually two stories behind this, so I'm going to tell you the first one. So he would take to work a potato, mm-hmm. and that was his lunch. Yeah. But not for one day. Jeepers. That was for two or three days. Jeepers. But he had to provide. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so he was out in the forests there. And while he was working, he heard about this guy who had been injured very recently. And somebody swung an axe and the axe missed the tree or something. Something went wrong Mm. and it hit this guy in the side. This guy was walking Mm. past Mm. and it hit him in the side and it gashed him straight open because they were felling trees with axes. Yeah. Right, so those blades are fuck off sharp, mm. and this was one of those double double sided axes. Mm. So what they would generally do is they would keep one act one side of the axe sort of at a more supported edge, but also it was for rough work, mm. like cutting roots out of the ground and things yeah. like that. Um, but they would keep the other side very keen, mm. very sharp. For doing the, the at, for doing the felling, yeah. So he got in the way of this axe. It it missed the tree and it and it hit the guy opposing him. And uh, yeah, this guy had to leave, walk to the nearest town, which was fuck or far. Mm. And he had spruce bells uh, mm. over over the the wound. Yeah. And when he got to the town. The first thing he did was go to the bar and have a couple of whiskeys before he could fucking go to the doctor. Wow. 
That's manly. So it was crazy. It was crazy. So so another another thing about injuries, another story that this old man had told me was he was working, I don't know, in some workshop. And they had uh, they had they were doing bladesmithing as blacksmithing as well, not yeah. bladesmithing. But they were doing blacksmithing as well, but all sorts of other mm. things to do with metalwork and so on. Anyway, so he had his hand on the side of the anvil and he was leaning on it and they weren't supposed to be smoking mm. in the workshop. They weren't supposed to be smoking. So they were smoking scallum. And uh, the guy said to him, just hit the anvil with the hammer when he comes in. Or when he's oh. here. And so they're both smoking and this guy has his hand on the edge of the anvil. And he hits the anvil because this guy's mm. just popped in. Yes, but dude, listen. His hand was still fucked up when I, when I knew him many, mm. many years later. So it just shows the importance of safety in the workshop. Yeah. Safety third. The first, the first rule is don't fuck up. The second rule is see rule one. And the third rule is safety. Safety third. And fourth rule is don't be a dick. Yeah, that's the most important one. Um, but yeah, you've got to keep safety in mind, but it, you shouldn't, it shouldn't be your primary focus. Your, your focus should be on producing quality. I disagree with that. I disagree with that. You said safety shouldn't be the first. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be. Um, uh, what's it? Guy, the guy from Dirty Jobs, uh, Micro. He said, you know, the safety first is is actually more dangerous than anything else. Okay, explain um, that. He says because you you end up making things too safe and you become you become comfortable with certain safety precautions being in place, and when they're not there, like if you've got a guard on your grinder, you get used to the guard being on the grinder. Yeah. So you get used to working with it in a certain way. Now you pick up a grinder that doesn't have a guard on. True. True. And then you end up cutting yourself. True. Because you you rely too much on, on the so-called safe practices that you become um, complacent yes in, in a certain way yes so that's okay. why he that's why he also he's like Nils he says safety third um, because it's not that it's not important but you need to it sh it's, you shouldn't you shouldn't be relying on on other people for your own safety. True, say, true, true. Or 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 false safes just yeah. in case. But like, but a safety, like a safety on a gun. Yeah, a safety on a gun is is just a mechanical thing. It can it, go off. It can fail. It's yeah. not and foolproof. There's, and there's been more people who've been shot by unloaded guns than mm. anything else. So yeah, you know that that's like oh, but the gun was unsafe. Was it? Mm. Um, that's well, the I'm, question you ask mm. is, would you put it on safety and point the barrel at my head? No. And pull it? No. Not no. a fuck? Not a fuck, yeah. So, then mm. it's not foolproof. Mm. So then, why, like, yes, having it on safety is good practice, mm. but it can fail. Yeah, and that's why you've got to keep mindful of where the barrel's pointing. Preferably, it should, should, be, should be pointing at your mother-in-law 
But if it does go off, you know, it's no harm done. My friend told me a story, Pierre Milan. He told mm. me the story about some kid who had taken his father's rifle mm. and this this toppy didn't keep any bullets in that thing at any point, but mm. it was accessible mm. and the bullets weren't. Mm. They were in the safe. Yeah. So this gun was viewed as totally safe because there was mm. never anything in it. Mm. One day, this little boy takes his father's gun mm. and he points it to his little brother's head. Mm. And then he points it away from it and he pulls the trigger. And it went off. And it went off. Holy shit. That is, so my, my friend Pierre says the devil loads guns. Mm. That's his saying. Mm. And I think that you need to treat any mm. firearm or any weapon mm. with so much respect. Mm. And, and, but this comes down to the fact of, are you informed enough to make those conscious decisions yourself? Mm. Like, even within the safety aspect of it, mm. because if you, let's say you are one of those guys who play life extremely safe in your own workshop, mm. you need to recognize the fact that not everybody does. Yeah. So you need to be able to say, okay, so I'm going to, to Johnson's fucking workshop today. Mm. And you can see immediately with the trained eye that mm. things, those, those fail safes are not mm. there. Mm. So if you fail, you ain't safe, mm. right? So the thing is, like, you need to be observant enough to check that out and say, mm. okay, now because of that, I'm not going to grind the way I traditionally grind or mm. work this machine the way I traditionally <clears throat> use it because mm. those fail safes are not in place. Okay. So it shouldn't be the thing that you think about all the time mm. in terms of your mind should just be trained that way. Mm. I mean, if you look at, at one of the most dangerous tools in a shop, in a knife maker's shop, is the buff. Mm. Um, I don't think there is a way of making a buff safe, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you just have to know that not if, when it grabs the blade, the blade's going to go in a way that's not going to harm you or someone around you. It's the same as if you're... It, we, like Trenton talked about the, the, the blood circle. So if you're working with a knife, wherever you can reach with your arm is the blood circle. So it, it's not just in front of you. If you turn around uh, with a knife in your hand, it's behind you as well. So you you have to be aware of when if shit goes south, you know, where's the where's it going to go? Yeah. Um, so I'm very careful on the buff. Like, I don't have a buff as such. I put mine in my draw press. Mm. But I always buff that if it grabs, it's going to throw it away from me. Yeah. Um, because having a knife come towards you with speed, uh, there's not much that's going to stop it. Yeah. And, and you're and, all the softest thing in your workshop. Yeah. And, and the thing is as well, is like how do you, what is the progression of you going to the to to the buff? Mm. That, that's the other question. Mm. Because if that if if that knife is sharp mm. when you go to the buff, 
that's that's a, an exponentially more bad idea mm. than if it were blunt. It's still mm. a bad idea, mm. you know. But not not mm. it's it's not strictly a bad idea. Sorry, mm. that's bullshit. What I'm saying is it's things can go wrong if mm. you buff incorrectly or mm. you or or it grabs the the knife that you're working with and mm. shoots it into your leg or whatever it is. Mm. It, that potential for injury mm. is always going to be there with that machine. Mm. But the thing is, don't do it well at shop. In my opinion, I don't mm. know. Like, yes, you buff buff the edge mm. to to sharpen it. I get that. Yeah, I, I very rarely put a sharp knife on a buff. Um, and the last thing I do before I send a knife out is I sharpen it. because You sharpen it. No, I or sharpen it. I only sharpen the knife when it's ready to go. Yeah, because knowing me, I will cut myself. Mm. And bleeding on a customer's knife is generally not a good idea. It messes yeah. up the wood finish. <laughs> if you bleed on a knife, you have to buy that knife. Those yeah. are the rules. Yeah, those are the rules. So it's just a matter of that's the way I work. That's mm. the way I'm comfortable working because yeah. you know, just quickly. Can burn, can burn, can turn out very costly, you know. Oh, I'm just quickly going to do this after I've sharpened the knife. Yeah. And then you end up cutting yourself. Or say you've got a sheath. I send my knife to the sheath maker. Normally I send them blunt because I don't want him to cut himself. And also, I don't want him to bleed on your leather. I don't want him to bleed on the leather. But also, you know, you don't want to mess up the sheath, you know, whip the knife out, put it in, plug it out, yeah. and cut the leather. Yes. By being a dick. Yeah. Rule number four. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the whole thing here. It's just, like, what are we talking about again? Safety. Safety, yes. Mm. There we go. So, like, yes, you want to practice safety Mm. within reason, you know, like, Mm. this this is the thing about safety. It's like safety goggles. Okay, Mm. cool. 100%. But... Are they foolproof? No, they're not foolproof. They're not. So the point there is, I mean, Jack Jack had a piece of steel go into his eye the other day. Mm. He was wearing safety goggles mm. when it happened. Mm. Okay? That's what he told me. Mm. Now, Neil said the same thing. He had a piece of steel go into his eyes. Yeah. He wasn't wearing safety glasses, but that's because he was in the shower. And he was in the shower... And a steel filing oh, went down geez. into his eye, so he had to go to the doctor because he got a piece of steel in his eye. But it wasn't that. It was when he was in the fucking shower. No one showers. Yeah. With, and besides, which safety glasses aren't going to help you in in the shower? Um, on that, Alex Norton used to wear these real steampunk yes. safety goggles. Okay. And the reason for him wearing that is because it completely closed. His face, yes, because it sealed yes. it, and then he got a, a nice pair of safety gloves that also seal on his face. Mm. Because mm. even when you're grinding, if you're looking down, mm. there is a gap, mm. and stuff can go in there. It's not a hundred percent. This is this mm. is the thing, and I mean, if we're talking about safety, mm. I went to when I was promoting the, the Morik Neve brand. I was mm. the ambassador for South Africa. So I went mm. to Huntex where they had mm. a stand and things like that. And I was de- basically demonstrating the different applications of the different knives mm. within the bushcraft 
area. Mm. So we were doing spoon carving and all sorts of different things. And I was doing some spoon carving and I'd been carving the whole day. So I was, I was pretty tired mm. doing different demonstrations and so on. Mm. And I had carved the bowl out to mm. a point and there was a whole bunch of wood chips and then there was a little knot that I was trying to get past and I, and I pulled through it and I pulled through it safely but it kicked all of those shavings up into my face. Jeepers, yeah. And one of the shavings went into my eye. Mm. And luckily I could get it out. Mm. But actually one of the the guys who was there helped me get it out. Mm. But um, yeah, I mean, spoon carving. Yeah, okay, you're using a knife, but the wood chips went into my eye. Mm. Um, So yeah, I mean, Mm. you just have to be as careful as you can possibly be. It's never... Mm. A certainty that you are not going to get injured mm. in your workshop. I mean, I mean, the other day, sorry, I'm interrupting you. Mm. But I mean, the other day, I walked up through the doorway here in the workshop, and there was something in my way. It was a it was a plastic box, and I had some heavy things in it. And I had a cup of coffee in my hand, and I rushed in through to the workshop, mm. caught my one uh, foot on it and I slammed my head down into this, the corner of this table. Jeepers. So Did it knock any sense into you? I think so. <laughs> I think so. We, it's, it's still yet to be discovered but mm. it's, I mean, that's the point here is like you can make stupid, silly mistakes even mm. knowing safety. Mm. And that's, that's, I think, one of the reasons why, you know, uh, that micro and, and you also say safety too because I mean, uh, a simple thing, my dad was an electrician, so he knows uh, how to work with those angry pixies. I avoid angry pixies because I can't fucking see them and they bite you. They do. Now, um, now a simple thing like a, a, a lockout on, a, on an isolator switch, it's a, a metal clamp thing and it's, and it's got a whole lot of holes in And my dad asked me, why do you think it has a whole lot of holes in it? So I said, I don't know. He says, no, the reason it's got a whole lot of holes in is that if you're working on something and you switch the isolator off, now you are safe and you put a padlock through it. Yeah. And then you go and work. Now when you're finished, you go and take your padlock off and you take the, the switch off. But now what happens if someone else is working on that same circuit? Okay. Now you go and take the thing off and you put it on and that guy gets shot. <laughs> so why it has a whole lot of holes is so that if I go work on that circuit and yes. there's already a lock on it, yes. I put my padlock in that switch or in that, that locking mechanism to lock it off so that when you come and you take your lock off, you can see someone else is also working on the lock. I see. I yeah. see. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's it's... Simple little things like that. Yes. You know, the, the, the lockout bracket or whatever for the isolators, which is a, it's a great thing on itself. Mm. But if you don't have, an, if you don't think further, then oh, what happens if more than one person's working on the line? Well, the, then, you, then you become uh, a bit complacent. It's the same as if you, the electrician, you come, oh, there's a lock on there. Oh, okay, carry on because it's already isolated. Well, this, this is the thing. Like, my dad and I, the power was off. Like, if you if you guys are not in South Africa, you don't understand the tribulations that we face as nightmakers. Load shedding. Load shedding is a ball ache mm. 
of note. So anyway, so I was planning to have a very productive day in the workshop, get a couple of things done, and um, Lutz City. Hey, sh- the dark, darkness, pure darkness, pure darkness is the face that you make when the fucking electricity goes out. Mm. Yeah. yeah and so, so, so this is the thing. So my point here is, is that, so my dad said, well, I want to do some work on the, on the board. Mm. Um, you know, so we can use this time now. Mm. He says, we'll only see if it works once the power's back on, but we can mm. at least do what we need to do. So I said, okay, cool, let's start. So he says, no, fucking go and switch the power off. And I'm like, yeah, but the power's off. He's like, and then if it comes back on? Mm. And I was like, yeah, shit. Imagine. Imagine, yeah. Like, so, you know, mm. and I know that was stupid on my behalf for sure. Mm. But, um, but it, you know, like I tried to be as safe as I can, but. That just didn't enter my mind. I was like, mm. well, the power's off in any case, so it's not a big deal. Mm. Like, of course, if the power's on and I was planning on doing that shit, I'd put the power off. But, yeah. you know, just thinking a little bit outside of the what can go wrong will mm. go wrong or within that those frameworks. Mm. So, I mean, how shit would you feel if your dad fucking died doing that shit mm. and you didn't switch the power off? Yeah, that would be a pretty cock one. Um, yeah, and I mean, just a bit of a humor. <laughs> With this whole lockdown situation in South Africa, you know, that we have to wait for government to announce what level, and, you know, there's talk in the media. Yeah, we, at the moment, we're on level one. But, you know, when we were still at level four, and uh, they said, yeah, there was rumors that, yeah, we might be going to level three, and then, of course, uh, ESCOM made a fuck-up and we had load shedding. And, and the joke was, all the memes were, ah, you said you thought we were going to go to level 3 lockdown. Uh-uh, level 3 load shedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's one of those things we have to deal with. Mm. It's a huge inconvenience, but... That's what Africa is. I mean, it's, 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 how, it's, it's how we have... Mm. I think it's... Look, I'm not saying it's not a ball ache. It is. It's a massive ball ache, yeah. especially when that's that's your business. Mm. Um, it's a huge ball ache. So, and, and the the main problem is it's not because we don't know about the problem. It's been we've known about load shitting, shitting, load mm. shitting, yeah. shitting <laughs> since 2008, mm. and they were supposed to build these two new great fucking power plants, and they fucked them up. And you couldn't hold it together, so you fucked it up. <laughs> yeah. They fucked it up really. I mean, not listening to expert advice. I mean, the, yeah. the, the quality of our coal at Madupi, which is the one that's the most finished. I didn't say it's finished. They were told the quality of our coal is not the same as in the rest of the world. So we do not, you can't get away with using a vertical mole for milling the coal. You have to use a horizontal mold to get the coal to a, a, a usable point, a usable format, and also you have to make account that there's a higher ash content. So these things were never taken into account when they design because everybody is just worried about who's going to get the tender and who's going to make the most money. Mm. Um, they're not actually worried about 
providing the service. Sure. And I mean, most of our electricity problem is just due to due to pure fucking incompetence sure. and a lack of maintenance. Look, as I say, I, I don't know enough about these things to say yes or no. So mm. I've got a very humble approach when it comes to it. It's it, it is a ball ache. Yeah. But it's one of those things that we can't do really anything about. Yeah, it's beyond so, our control. So we have to more deal with it. You know. That's that's the thing. That's that's the benefit of being a blacksmith. I mean, if you've got a gas forge, that you can forge when there's no electricity. Yes. So you adapt and survive. Yes. You have to. You have to. I mean, life is about adapting. Mm. And so Africa's not for sissies. No, it's it's not even in terms of bushcraft. My goodness, mm. I see these guys whack up these beautiful straight shelters in in a matter of minutes out of mm. relatively soft wood, mm. and I'm like, yeah, try and do that in Africa. That's yeah. why we built bombers, not yeah. fucking proper shelters. I mean, mm. yes, there were proper shelters made mm. by tribes and things like that for yeah. sure, but, but like. In terms of when it comes to an overnight shelter in bushcraft, mm. you're not going to be able to whack up something like that that quickly. Uh, our, our trees are just like people. They're very fucking hard mm. and stubborn. Mm. And the other thing is we've got um, serious predators out there. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah the, the big five. Yeah, the big five is a very serious concern if you go into big five territory. If you're looking at mm. genuine African bush, you're going to have the big five. Mm. And that, that's not to say that the anim other animals aren't dangerous. They yeah. are extremely fucking dangerous. I mean, I mean, a hippo is not considered one of the big five. But it fucks up more people. The only thing that beats it in Africa is fucking mosquitoes. Yeah. I mean, they, even the mosquitoes will fucking kill you. Now, <laughs> now, I was having this discussion with somebody the other day. I think it was Jack. And we were talking about why wouldn't... The rangers back in those days have considered a hippo as one of the dangerous African animals. So, the reason Jack came up with is that hippos, now I'm not saying they don't move far away from water, but that generally is not the case. They, mm. they stick around water. Yeah, they stick around water and don't get between a hippo and its water. You yes, because even if you get out of its way, it's decided that you have inconvenienced it and it will pursue and fuck you up. Mm. It, it it will um, they are extremely pissed off animals for mm. some reason and um, the thing is what the, mm. the reasoning Jack gave for that is like okay if you're not close to water mm. what are you more likely to encounter lions buffalo lions buffalo elephant, elephant leopard. leopard lion well we said lion really yeah yeah what are the big four so it's lion, leopard, oh, rhino. elephant, rhino. Yeah, a rhino is just a fucking overgrown puppy that just wants to come and play. Anything is he's like over a ton and he'll mm. fuck you up because mm. mm. his brakes on so sharp. And it's even with rhino, it's mm. not. I'm not saying white rhino are not dangerous. They fucking are, but they are less aggressive in nature to the black rhino. Yeah, because they're more of a plains animal, so they can see shit coming from mm. a long way. Whereas a, a black rhino is more of a, it's a browser, so it's more in the thicket. Mm. And generally, when you come across it, you're both surprised, and um, you're smaller than it, and it's going to fuck you up. Yes, yes. So, and it's not rhino horn rub rub. That does fuck all. So if you want rhino horn, go fuck off. Leave them alone. Yeah. Go yeah. buy a Viagra. It works better. There we go. There we go. I mean. 
African bush is, is a very, very scary place, but it is also a very magical place. Mm. It's there's something about the the being in the African bush mm. and not having a fence around you mm. is scary yet invigorating at the same time. Mm. Because if something does go wrong, there's mm. there's very little that you can do. Even when we were doing anti-poaching, mm. the rifles that we carried mm. were for encountering humans, not big game animals. Yeah. So there is very little we could have done. Mm. There is very little we could have done if something had attacked us. I mean, if the elephant jarred you, <clears throat> um, you're kind of fucked. The best, the if best thing if he gets it. hold of you, you mm. are pretty fucked, yes. Mm. I mean, there have been people who have survived buffalo encounters and elephant encounters and things like that and lions and mm. all sorts of things. Um, and those are all extremely interesting stories. But mm. the moral of the story is you can, you, you're as safe as you can be in that environment. Yeah. It, there, you, there are no guarantees. Whether you mm. go on game game drives and Elephant decides that he doesn't like the vehicle, mm. he will chase that vehicle. Yeah, there's not much you can do about it. There's really nothing you can do about it. They, I mean, when you think about the power of a lot of these elef, uh, um, animals mm. within the Big Five and outside mm. of the Big Five, mm. An elephant is an extremely powerful animal. A yeah. buffalo is an extremely powerful animal. Mm. Um, a lot of animals in, in the bush are. Mm. Elant, massively powerful animal. I mean, even even a bushbuck ram, that is a one dangerous motherfucker. Mm. A wounded bushbuck ram is one of the most dangerous things in the bush because he'll wait for you and they live in the thickest bush you can find. And he'll wait for you and as soon as you get within range, he's going to stick a horn through you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if he gets a chance. So it's something to be mindful of. And I mean, the the guy who taught me most of the things I know about hunting, um, Sylvian, when he was in his younger day, when he still played rugby, he was like 19 or 20 or whatever, yeah. he thought, um, now he try and tackle a bushbuck you. And a bushbuck you is not a big animal. I mean, it's 50 kilos max on the hoof. That thing fucking dragged him around, and I mean, he was like 90, 95 kilos, bolt strong. There, he couldn't bring that fucking thing down. Mm. <laughs> and that's just a bushbuck you. Yeah, yeah. Now, bushbuck you don't have horns, um, but bushbuck rams do, and they are straight, and they are fucking razor sharp on the points. Yeah, yeah. I know, because I've shot a few bushbuck rams, and I've carried them out the bush, and you got to watch where that horns, where that head is, because I, I put it into like a backpack on my yes, back. Yes. <clears throat> and you hold the horns because yes. if they buck around, they're going to stab you, and yeah. it's not fucking pleasant. No, no, no. I mean, and carrying an animal out the mm. bush, I mean, I've done it a few times, but not a hell of a lot. That's why I like bushbuck because it's actually a manageable weight. But when you yeah. get anything bigger than a bushbuck, then it's then you have to start. I mean, I had to carry an Impala ram. And it's which, not which is which is about what sixty five kilos. They they not that much bigger than a bushbuck ram. They, they can get up to a hundred kilos even, I think. But the thing is, it's just that little bit extra. Yeah. 
and and it becomes unmanageable. It's unmanageable. I mean, um, I, the I, last ram I shot was a nice bushwork ram. Uh, not bush, uh, impala ram. Yes, that was a long time ago. So you went last away hunting, but it was a mission to carry that one out. Yeah, because the thing is, as well, when you put it on your back, to get it on your back. That, that's it's a mission. No, to get on your back is not a problem, but to get up from that position is difficult. But then the thing you must remember is, when you're walking through the bush, you haven't got anything on your back. When you crouch down, you're lower. But yes. when you've got an animal on your back and yeah. you crouch down, you're still the same fucking height. Yes. And you've got sixty kilos on yes, your back. Yes. Yes. So yes. you're not as stable. Not as stable. So this is the thing. I mean, the ram that I shot was a relatively young ram. Mm. So he had some decent horns, but they yeah. he was still young. And um, so I shot him, mm. and he ran about 20 meters from mm. where he dropped. There was a very small blood trail, so mm. we battled to find him a little bit, but and it was thick. Yeah, it was thick. So he was basically off to the one, off to the right hand side of the road when I shot him. Mm. And he traveled 20 meters, and then we heard him thrashing eventually in the bush. Mm. And. Uh, so I picked him up with my buddy Brendan's help. He helped me get him onto my back, but yeah. I was car- carrying him across. Yeah. Uh, which is not incredibly smart. I figured out. No, you turn into a backpack. Yeah. His back legs. Yes. So anyway, so I did that. And there's actually a picture on Instagram of me holding this thing like that. And there's mm. blood dripping down my mm. arm and everything. And I carried this thing for 20 meters. And man, I was Dead after that. Yeah, I was dead. It's a properly heavy animal. Mm. I mean, it's just look, the impala. It's I, just small. Yeah, it's still small. I mean, my dad told me about a guy that he knew who was an exceptional. Uh, he was a tool and die maker, mm-hmm. but he was exceptional. He was mm. really exceptional. My dad always tells me about the things that he would do in the workshop. Mm. But he used to hunt as well. Mm. And he would go out into the bush and he would hunt himself a kudu. Now, I'm not sure if it was a male or a female, mm. but he would skin the animal, mm. take the meat, leave the rest of the animal there, mm. and then he would put all the meat into the fucking skin and make himself a sort of backpack. Mm. And he said this guy would carry his meat out. Yeah. And I'm like, that is, that is a lot of meat. It's a lot of meat. And, and the thing is, <clears throat> you don't really have that much time to get it out. And you don't. In, a, in, yeah. in Africa, where you find the wild animals, it's not accessible a lot of places with a vehicle. Yeah. So even if you shoot an animal close to a chop road, you still have to get it to the chop road. Yeah. 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 I mean, we had the, the last time I went, or one of the times I went hunting with Sylvan, he shot a kudu, and it died literally next to the chop road. And then the two of us had to load that thing onto the back of a bucky. It's it took us about three hours to load that thing onto the back of the bucky because we were, it was right at the end of the day, we had spent the whole day in the bush, yeah. dehydrated, yeah. fucking tired as hell, and then we had to, we we eventually got onto the tailgate, drove to the game fence, tied his back legs to the game fence, and then reversed him onto the bucky because we were just so fucking tired. Tired, yeah. And it's a dead, it's a dead lump weight. Yes. 
And we didn't want to slaughter it in the bush. Uh, we wanted to go slaughter it at the house with his light because it was really dark by the time we had a fire. Yeah, because um, I was just going to ask, how did the meat hold up if you were busy with it for three hours? Yeah, but he, he shot it at about about half past four okay. and it was winter. So okay. by half past five, it was dark already. Yeah. And then you're still trying to load a fucking kudu, oh. a, a nice kudu bull onto the back of a fucking ducky. Yeah. That's and you, and the thing is, you've been, you're tired. You're not thinking, I mean, we could have done it so many different ways easier. Yeah. But at that time, you know, because the farm we were hunting, um, he, had, he had hunted that farm for more than 30 years. And it was only the second time he had a chance on a kudu. Wow. It was mainly a bushpuck and a bushpig farm. That's where you go. That's what you shoot on that farm. Bushpuck, bushpig, and maybe die. But a kudu, they know it as the great ghost in the bush. Mm. They are extremely, extremely quiet animals in the bush. And they, they disappear. That's why they call it the great ghost. Mm. They like, they, they're there and then they're gone. They, an old kudu bull only gets that old because he is smart as fuck. Yeah, and he's he learned to survive. The dumb ones, learned. unlike, you know, civilization, where the dumb people get to become politicians, the dumb people don't survive in, in, in the wild. They die. Yeah. It's, uh, they're incredibly smart animals. A, a noisy fucking thing in the bush is mm. a fucking illite. Yeah, because he just doesn't give a fuck. He <laughs> doesn't give two fucks. Mm. Like, that that's a noisy animal. Uh, my friend Brendan, mm. he says those things, you can you can hear them all the time. Yeah. Now, look, I've never hunted an elant, so I'm not talking from experience, but I, I am talking from what I've observed. Mm. I, would, observed. I don't know if I'd want to hunt an elant because... How the fuck am I going to carry it out the bush? That's my main concern. That's why yeah. I like the small antelope. <laughs> Look, I, I have a very particular way mm. of looking at hunting. Mm. And this is just for me personally. It's not. Mm. I'm not judging anybody who does this, but like being respectful when you hunt mm. is very important for me. And like only taking what it is that you genuinely need. Mm. And I'm not, I'm not going into the trophy hunting thing. I mean, there's a lot to be said about that. There's not, I don't be believe it's necessarily bad, but I think we need to watch it carefully. Yeah, it, it, it has its place if it's managed correctly. If it's managed correctly. It's not my, it's not my cup of tea. Yes. I mean, I, I hunt for the meat yes. and for the experience of being in the bush. I mean, you can go hunting. You don't even have to leave the bucky. You can go, but that's not hunting. No, but you can go spend, I mean, proper hunting, walking through the bush yeah. and everything. Walk and stalk. Walk and stalk. And you don't even have to load the rifle and you have a great time. Yes. I mean, some of the best times I've had hunting, I never got to shoot anything. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a, a blue diker, which is the smallest antelope in Africa. They are like, you know, just a little bit bigger. They're about the same size as a little fucking Jack Russell. What? Yeah, they are tiny and they're endangered. Um, but I've seen one come drink water, munch grass, and I was literally less than 10 meters away from him and he didn't even fucking know I was there. Yeah. I've also been charged by a blue diker. Because <laughs> he didn't know where the fuck I was and I was crawling through the bush. But that just made the hunting experience. Yes. From there... I went and I sat on the hill and I had a smoke because 
my weekend yeah. was made. Yeah. Um, the, this this is the thing. It's hunting is not necessarily about killing. Mm. And even when it is, it it all depends. Like whether it's a good thing or a bad thing is up to your moral viewpoints and yeah. compass and all of that jazz. But if you hunt ethically, mm. and if you hunt respectfully, mm. there is honestly, in my opinion, nothing bad that you can say about that. Mm. I mean, if you look at at uh, one of the oldest hunters in Africa, the, the the San or the Kwesan, mm. they used to be referred to as Bushmen, but that's now disrespectful. But the, the San, I mean, when they get, everybody thinks they shoot it with a bow and arrow. They don't actually shoot it with a bow. Well, they do shoot with a bow and arrow, but mm. they literally run that animal down mm. and then they give it the, the death kill. But they are extremely respectful for that animal. And that and, arrow doesn't penetrate very deep. No. It's literally just to get the poison in. Yeah, and the thing is that they are so they say like almost like a little prayer, and they they apologize to the animal, you know, but they need to feed their family and mm. things like that. But they are very, and they use just about everything they fucking can of that animal. That's that's another point. Mm. Is if you <clears throat> if we look at ancient man, mm. okay, and we think about how ancient man made tools, provided mm. for his family, and all of those mm. things. What does that include? Making tools, clothing, providing food, mm. all of those things, making shelter, mm. making gourds and mm. things like that, making cordage, making mm. bows for new hunting implements, mm. all of these things. The animal that they hunted could give them a lot of materials to use. Mm. That was basically, in those times, your hardware shop. Mm. If you could take an animal down, mm. you could use its intestines for bowstrings mm. or just strong cordage. Mm. You could use the hide for cordage. Mm -hmm. You could use the hide for clothing. You could use it for bags, for for all sorts of things. And I mean, you, even the bones you can use for arrowheads. You could use it for cutting implements, for pounding implements. They use them a lot for, for, for hunt, hunting implements, specifically with fish as mm. well. So um, it was it was a, a hardware store. Mm. It was a hardware store. So like they learned to respect that animal so much because mm. of what it provided them with. Mm. It provided them with food for their family, mm. better shelter for their family, whether mm. it was clothes or being used as an actual shelter. Mm. Um, all of these different things, sewing kits that they mm. could make out of the bones. Mm. Um, Drinking implements that they could make from horn, mm. um, or or mus musical purposes as mm. well. These were all things that were made from these animals, so they had a very deep respect for that animal. Yeah, and I think <clears throat> on that, I mean, I was just looking the other day. I mean, we are seven people in my house. And in a week, we fill up one of those, we overfill one of those wheelie bins of fucking rubbish. And that rubbish has to go somewhere. Yeah. So it's a, it's a little bit bothering to me. I mean, we, we, we've almost got into that fast-paced lifestyle where we don't really have respect for the environment anymore um, and what's provided for us. Um, 
But yeah, that's a topic for a, a, a discussion for a completely different time, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, I think that uh, that the way people live their lives in in nowadays, like, mm. it's it's honestly just the natural progression of things, but. Mm. Like when you think about the amount of packaging that your food comes in when mm. you take it from the flea market, mm. the flea market from the grocery store, mm. let's be South African, mm. uh, from checkers, let's checkers. be more South African. Mm. But yeah, so like I think people are just very detached from where meat actually comes from. Mm. It's not just meat, it's, it's everything. I mean, everything it, it, comes it in packaging. Everything. It, it is in everything. So we, are, we are very separated from... From the responsibility of, I mean, of of anything dying so that we can eat it. I mean, in the old days, I mean, I remember still when I was a little kid. It was like just after the the ox wagons went over the mountain, but um, we used to put our milk bottles out, and they used to deliver milk. Yeah. Uh, in a glass bottle, and the bo- glass bottle then was taken back and recycled and yeah. used again, because it had value. Mm. And now milk comes in a fucking plastic jug. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that uh, that there are a lot of things that could be improved, mm. but it takes people to implement them. Someone like Elon Musk. Yes. I mean, that I could, I would I, w- I would pay money to to have a to see a little bit of his brain way works. But I think you would be very scared mm. at the amount of knowledge and the shit you would have to sift through to get to that knowledge because mm. everybody's got fucked up shit in their head. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it would I mean, be interesting. His whole purpose was Tesla. Is he doesn't like, why should we be burning all these fossil fuels and polluting the, the environment? Yeah. That's why Tesla exists. Yeah. The boring company to, to build underground tunnels is, is to improve... Uh, a transportation yeah. problem that nobody's been able to solve, um, and and that's what I like about him is he's mm. actually trying to contribute to how we think and how we work, mm. which is extremely extremely um, ad- admirable. Like it's mm. it's, I mean, he's not out there to make money. Yeah, he he simplified his life so much mm. just to be able to do that. Mm. To and it wasn't just to, to be able to do that. Just recently, um, another guy I watch uh, on YouTube, um, Alex Becker, but he said Elon Musk recently went and sold almost all his properties. Yes. Because he says, well, I must have money tied up in properties which actually don't provide value. I can use yes. this. Simplify your life so that you can put more emphasis on the things that matter. Yes. Because, like, if you own a property, then there's rates and taxes, there's maintenance. You've got to do this, you've got to do that. And it takes away your attention that you could be putting into more useful yes. things. There was one house that he was speaking about that he uh, he's putting on the market or was put on the market. Um, and it belonged to somebody famous. I can't mm. remember who it was. Um but basically, the conditions are that if you buy that house, mm. you keep it as is, mm. because you can. He was saying that there's the there's the definite presence of whoever this this mm. famous guy was. I can't remember. Mm. It was mentioned on the Joe Rogan podcast, but mm. um, 
yeah, it's it's very interesting to me that mm. a guy like that would take that amount of action in his mm. life to represent how willing or how far he is willing to go mm. to make a difference in the world. Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yes. what's, uh, what's next after the Hunters? What's next after the Hunters? Well, Tim has brought me today a beautiful piece of 1070. It even has a natural harmonium. <laughs> a natural rust line harmonium. Yeah, it totally looks like a harmonium. Yeah. When, I, when I got the piece of steel from him this morning, I was like, oh, it's already got a harmonium. <laughs> but yeah, it's very cool. Mm. So I'm going to be making a kitchen knife or two or three out of that. Um, so yeah, I'm also thinking of making that chopper that I designed the other day, that sort of cookery-inspired chopper. Yeah, but I don't. I, I think it that steel though is a bit be, thin. It's going to be a bit thin. It's a bit thin for that. So I might want to get some thicker steel, maybe some ten seventy, mm. uh, not ten seventy, um, fifty one sixty. Excuse mm. me. Uh, some fifty one sixty and and forge that out. Mm. Yeah, that uh, that bowie that I showed you earlier. Yeah, I'm going to do that the same way, but I'm going to. I've got some O one two. O one or K four sixty tool steel. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna do it sandmar, but I want to leave it nice and thick at the, at the spine. Yeah, and I'm that's for that chopper that you. That no, 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 not the chopper. The the bowie. Oh, the bowie. Okay. The chopper. I'm gonna do okay. plain fifty one sixty. Yeah. Um, that's gonna be a cool blade. Yeah. That's gonna be a cool blade. And I'm gonna I'm gonna make it dark. Mm. Uh, it's gonna be a dark piece. Are you gonna do a harmonium? Oh no, not not if you're using fifty one sixty. I'm gonna I'm gonna differentially harden it. Yeah. Um, I I think I will play it when I harden it to see if it, it really shows. See see if you can accomplish that, bro. Mm. See if I you think can get a pretty harmonic. just because you can. Mm. You Jack's can. Done it. Jack's done it. He just Jack's just sent me a location, so he's like hinting that I should go visit him. <laughs> Since I'm all the way over here in Rudaport. Oh shit. Yeah. yeah, that's why he was trying to call me earlier. I didn't yeah. take the call because we were busy recording here. Yeah. Um, so you, you're going to have to do push-ups on Tuesday when you see him. He's going to fuck you up. Yeah. Big, yeah. Big you see the tree over there? Go yeah. fetch for me a leaf. <laughs> <laughs> Run like the enemies be creeping you from the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's totally going to give me shit. Mm. But, um, but yeah, I think mm. this has been a good episode. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, there, there's some exciting things that we're doing. Mm. Um, we also need to... Tim and I have been speaking about making a flint and steel set. Mm. Um, and just trying out and seeing if there's if there's a market for it here in South Africa. Because mm. I think there are a lot of people who are interested in bushcraft and want to mm. experiment, but they just haven't been exposed to, and, to I mean, that. On our camping trip, we just went on... Um, I lighted the one fire with a flint and steel. Yes. Um, I didn't even have to show him properly how. Yeah, it was flipping. It's, it feels so just. It's like such it, an accomplishment it, to use it's, basic, it's, basic tools to make fire. It's very gratifying. Mm. It's very gratifying. Like, um, like when you start fire with a method that you've never started it before mm. like everybody's used matches everybody's used uh, lighters um, mm. 
But when you start playing with friction fire and primitive means of making mm. fire, like taking uh, iron parietes mm. and striking flint onto the iron parietes, which removes, mm. uh, I think there's some sulfur in there mm. as well. I'm not sure. Mm. But it, it creates a very dull spark, and then you catch that on your amadou fungus. Mm. And that was basically... From that time, mm. that was the make, way of making fire. And then mm. the Romans figured out that taking a piece of iron mm. and striking it against flint, you mm. could produce a hotter spark. Mm. And then they started using that. Mm. And it's just crazy if you think about the evolution of fire making. Mm. Like whether it's friction or some form of ancient flint and steel, which mm. is basically what that was. Yeah. Taking... Um, Iron parietes and mm. striking it with, with mm. a piece of flint. Have you ever seen how how the Japanese swordsmiths light yes. their charcoal fire? Yes. yes, They take a piece of steel and they heat mm. it until it's red hot, and then they light a little bird's nest, and then they start their charcoal fire. It's crazy, hey! It's, it's crazy. crazy, and that's that's just a different but, method. But but that you can't do that with mild steel. You, I've never tried it to be honest. Okay, you, it has to be steel because you. The work you're putting into it, the heating it, the percussion, builds up heat in the material. Yes, yes. But if you take, if you take, I don't know, like I've tried to get it hot enough. On a, I can't even remember. It was like, I think it was a normal piece of steel, like a, mm. a, a, a what's the steel I just mentioned now? Like mild steel. Mild steel. Mm. I don't know if it's possible. Maybe it is, but with just hammer blows, because they get that thing glowing. Mm. The trick is it has to be thin enough and you have to hit hard enough and fast enough to, to build up that heat. Crazy. That's why you see the, the good blacksmiths, they yeah. can keep the heat in the work because they're moving it the whole time. And the, uh, and the, the percussion, you can actually, if you watch a guy like Jay van der Spey or the, the, the guy from the Netherlands, <clears throat> you can actually see when he's, when he's hitting, you can see that the piece glow up. Yes. The glow goes more where exactly where he's hitting. Okay. Because you're working with the surface area that you're hitting on as well. Right, 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 right. Yeah. That's interesting though, hey? So you can actually you can actually slow down the the the, the, cooling. the cooling process just mm -hmm. by working it in a more particular fashion. And keeping it off the anvil. Okay. So you'll see when he forges, he lifts the piece up. Even if it's just a tip resting, he lifts the piece up so that the air anger English, the anvil doesn't suck the heat out of the piece. Yes, because there's a massive heat sink. Yeah. Yeah. That's why when you normalize your blades, you do not put it on the anvil to cool down because the anvil will suck yes. the heat out of it yes. and you're not actually normalizing. You're actually keeping it hard, aren't you? It's mm. almost like plate quenching in a way. Mm. Anyway, I think uh, we should call it a day because uh, I still have to get back to Benoni. Otherwise, the wife, she's going to beat me again. <laughs> and she'll have a reason to beat me this time. Absolutely. I'd Not that she you. normally needs a reason. I'd beat you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's because you're not the Blue Bulls. They can't beat anybody. <laughs> but anyway, guys, thanks for joining us. Yes. Um, we're going to leave it here. And... Uh, Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay tuned for the next episode for sure. And remember to check out the Open Hearth cast on Instagram. Yes. And on Spotify, uh, and iTunes, we'll, Anchor, all those platforms. And we're going to be putting a few clips up 
on on YouTube as well. Yes. So we, we do have a channel. We don't put much up there, but uh, we'll be putting some more shit up there. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll be good shit. It'll be good shit. Like very very cool. I like having these sorts of discussions where we just talk about things that are maybe a little bit off knife making, but mm. it's thought provoking, isn't it? Yeah. And the whole point is to to use your brain. Use your brain. Yeah. Be smarter than what you think you can be. Yeah. Anyway, that's it for this episode. And uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. We will catch you on the flip side. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Open Hearthcast. Find us on Instagram at Open Hearthcast. And we'll see you again real soon.